This is Dating After Death, a podcast sorting out all the complicated emotions that come along with looking for love again after losing our forever person. And I am your currently anonymous host. Today's episode is with the founder and chief joy officer of the Forced Joy Project. If you're anything like me, when you see that Forced Joy logo on the stories on Instagram, you just get like a little endorphin hit because it's so exciting when she puts out something new. Her words are just so relatable and familiar. I am truly appreciative of the work she does through the Forced Joy Project and I just kind of want to be her when I grow up. So without further ado, Dana Frost. Hi, Dana. Hi. (laughs) So happy to have you. Um, I'm going to do like a little too much talking at the beginning just to explain why I want to have you on. And then it's all you. Okay, great. About two years ago now, we have a mutual friend who told me about you, but it was before I knew anything about you. And I was like way in the depths of my grief and... She did that thing where she was like, oh my gosh, I have another friend who lost her spouse and um, she started this amazing thing and you should check it out. And in the moment, I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, (laughs) right? Like, Uh you know, you're just not ready for that all the time. And so I set it aside. And then once I started getting sort of ingrained in the Instagram community, then I found you and I saw that she liked one of your posts and I was like, oh my gosh, I think this is the same girl. (laughs) So finally, I reached out to you. We figured out we have this mutual friend. So there's that piece. And then there's just the fact that you are amazing. And I feel like sort of an icon in the widow community. And (laughs) I just have been sort of desperate to talk to you about, I mean, everything, but for this, your dating experiences. Um, and then also, of course, you and Mira did the the grief talks. Mm-hmm. And that was really what was my catalyst for starting the Instagram page because you two kept saying how so many people reach out to you with questions about that and that it was a taboo topic and not talked about enough. And I was like, well, I'm kind of in the heat of it. I might as well just put it out there. I love that. I love that so much. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. It's been very therapeutic for me. So yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. So before we get to all the dating stuff, I'm wondering if you could just start by telling us about Brad and then as much as you're comfortable, sort of about the end. Yeah. Um, so Brad and I, we, we met in college our senior year. And it's funny because I would not describe him like we were not college sweethearts. We weren't like we met and then <laughs> fell in love. It Like it was we were 22 years old. He was 24 years old and going in different directions after graduation. And we're just like we kind of fought the relationship at mm. first, but we were so drawn to each other. We were just like, it was like this magnetic force that he moved to Detroit and I stayed in Virginia, but it was like, we could not, not be in each other's lives. And so Mm. eventually after breaking up and being like, we've got to move on and all of this stuff, it was just this like magical moment that at the time probably was like so filled with drama. But now I get to look back (laughs) and be like this magical moment where he said he loved me and wanted me to move in with him. And I literally like, quit my job, broke my lease, and I was living in Detroit a week later. And so very much this like impulsive movie moment that everyone was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And I was like, whatever. I just, I love this person and you got to take a risk. You got to jump. And it was the best decision ever. And we just like 
all of the drama of being, you know, in college and all of this stuff, it just like, it just disappeared. And not that we didn't have drama in our life, but there was something from that moment where it was like, we were this partnership, like a true partnership Mm -hmm. and became the couple that all of our friends looked up to. We were kind of put on a pedestal, no pressure, but like really did feel like we were this example for other people of how we just supported each other and communicated with each other. Just a really, really Mm -hmm. beautiful relationship. Yeah. And then how long after you were married, did he get sick? Um, We were married for eight years when he got diagnosed. Um, And so that was in 2016. He um, had just a pain in his side and we didn't think much of it. And, you know, there's so much hindsight, you know, in the widow world, Mm -hmm. like we all look back on so many things and it's like, how did I not see this? I mean, I was a cancer survivor. Brad was my my spouse when I was diagnosed with cancer. And so it's like, there's so many things I'm like, how did I not know? But the mind is a funny thing. And And we just, we kind of, we kind of assumed it was like, oh, we went through our hard thing together. Like we did it when I got cancer. We're like, great, check that off the list. Oh my gosh. I still feel like that now. I'm like, oh, I went through my hard thing. Right. I'm like, nothing else bad can happen. (laughs) Yes. And then life. And life, life continues. Um, And yeah, so it ended up this pain in his side was stage four renal cell carcinoma, so kidney cancer. And he Mm -hmm. ended up, you know, we used to joke that he was like such a rare human. And so he got this super rare cancer that even in like the categories of kidney cancer, it was undefined and it didn't have any of the typical traits of anything else. And so treatment was... I mean, we did like a new immunotherapy and he did surgery to remove his, the kidney and all of like the cancerous parts surrounding it or what they could. Um, and it ju- it was just, I mean, it was one bad thing after the next, like from when he was diagnosed, we were in the hospital, in the emergency room, we like every week, every week for mm-hmm. something else. And it was just this very rapid decline. And throughout all of it, we still didn't really admit that he was dying. Like it really is amazing to me looking back at how much hope we had. And we had conversations kind of in the broader, like, you know, what if, and a couple of very serious conversations, but I, I mean, I was in such denial. I was like, we're going to, we're going to be like, this is not our story. We will be that couple that like we both survived and we will get through it. And and yeah, yes. it wasn't until, I mean, he was on hos- in hospice and it was his friend who happened to be a doctor on his team that he had to call me and be like, he's not coming back from this. Like, you have to oh, call gosh. his family. Um, everyone flew out. and yeah. I, I obviously, I didn't walk this cancer journey. I have a good friend who is doing this with her husband right now. And so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like for them, they have a hard time with the hard conversations because they don't want to bring each other down or affect the hope of the other person. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a lot of that. Um, cause yeah, you are feeling it and you're like, well, if I don't want them to feel that or them to think, I think they're dying yeah. and you're both probably aware of it. Um, Brad was, so we actually, we podcasted, he was very, very open mm. Um, about all of it. And I think he protected me. And there's a couple of our podcast episodes where it was like, 
he forced it. And I was just like, no, I do not want to talk about this. Mm. And it's really funny for people. Funny is such a terrible word. But like for people that know me, I'm so open about this, about like, I mean, everything right now. But I was not that way. Um, Brad was always yeah. very open about it and kind of forced the conversation in a way that I'm so thankful for. But it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard to, to have those conversations. We should podcast. Welcome to Defending Your Life with Brad, Dana, and Jeremy. This is Brad, Dana, and Dave. It is not that late, but it's been a hard night because small fears have become big. Hey guys, this is Brad. You know, there's... um. There's no doubt it's hard to believe this is real. All of it. Really hard to believe that I have stage four cancer. You know, I think about my family and friends and everyone that has so uh, graciously reached out, shared love and prayers and thoughts. And, and I think it's no doubt because everyone's afraid I'm dying. We had a beautiful, amazing, incredible sunrise over the water. At 7.30, I've already cried in my brother's and my wife's arms three times this morning. It's going to be all right, but I'm fucking scared. And that's new to me. Well, it's not new to me. I learned about everything, <laughs> so I can teach you how to do it. I come across as the person that's like, positive, 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 let's just focus on this. Um, but Brad has done a lot of research. He's read books on radical remission. He believes in positive placebo effects and believing you're going to survive and you're going to make it. And there's, there's some truth behind that. And wanting to be surrounded by people that are on the same page and that believe in the power of positivity and that sounds so fucking nuts and crazy and I you know I realize that but I think it beats the alternative I do I think it beats you've devoted your life in many ways to the pursuit of people having every opportunity to live the life they want to live and in these moments of grief and sadness it's not fear, at least not for me, not for you. It's a sense that we can't make that true. You guys had plans. We had plans. Another episode of Defending Your Life. It's Dana, Jeremy, Margo, Dave, and Lindsay. And it's January 22nd. About 10 p.m. We felt it was important to put another Defending Your Life episode together. We felt like Brad would find it important. Um, yeah, even just saying who's here, I feel like I'm gonna lose my shit, so. Which is fair. Sorry. It's okay. Um, so Brad passed away today. 101 days after his diagnosis. True Brad fashion. 
Had to make it the extra day. <laughs> make it 100 days plus one. I, I don't even know what else to say. I listened to hours of defending your life. And as I listened to Brad and Jeremy and Dana and many of their other friends and family members talking about this experience, I found myself enamored with Brad and with Brad and Dana, and I could feel the heartbreak, and it reminded me of my own. Brad seemed like a really cool guy. So I'm very struck by this idea that you describe Brad as being a unique human, right? Like that feels so... I'm. Uh, it feels like so hard to find mm-hmm. somebody that you feel not that there aren't a million unique people, but someone mm-hmm. who feels like unique for you. Yeah. And then to follow up a marriage like that with anything else feels daunting, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, maybe just where was your mindset after Brad died or how long did it take you to even sort of consider love again or dating or any of that? Um, so I knew the possibility, like I was open to the possibility of love in the like general big sense of the word. I was not emotionally ready. I mean, years, a couple of years. Um, I physically felt like the need for companionship much sooner. Um, and so for me, it was sex before even the idea of dating and letting a person emotionally into my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was hard to imagine. It was hard to imagine someone ever, I hate the term like living up to Brad, but that's certainly how it felt in the beginning. Like how would anyone compare? Because I truly loved our partnership and all of its flaws and there's comfort of even the flaws, you know, you know, with your person, you know how to handle it. And so it was, it was very daunting. It was something that I was like, I'm open to, but I don't see how this is possible. Okay. So nitty gritty question. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you achieve this sex before relationship activity? (laughs) Um, So the first time I had sex was with somebody I knew and it wasn't planned. It wasn't a like, this is going to be the night I'm going to, I'm going to do this, but it was a night out and we were having a lot of fun and it one thing led to another. And it was with this person that it was like, I knew and he knew my story, but it wasn't like we were close enough that it was awkward. It was just like, well, that was a a great person to have that experience and to feel like trust in that experience. Um, And it was, it was just a very unique first time, I think. And, um, and after that, when I actually thought of it, and that, again, it was, I was not ready to date. I was not ready to let anybody in totally. in that way. And eventually I did the online dating thing for a hot second, but okay. um, when I actually thought about it, but online dating, how did that go for you? What did you, did you, which sites did you get on? Um, so I think I was on Tinder because I live in a remote town and was like, it was like where most people were. Yeah. Um, my the the catalyst for online dating is not one I would recommend. <laughs> um, I was I was taking care of my dad. He had he was living with me, and so not ideal for um, for dating at all. But yeah. frankly, I was in a really really dark, lonely place. Like mm. 
my dad was, I was a caregiver for him. And so, so much of my time was revolved around him and it was very stressful. And I just moved to a new town and I didn't have support or community. And frankly, I needed a distraction. Like I needed something to take me out of like my reality. And so I got online and I hated it. Mm. I felt like it was such a waste of time. Like I hated the like swiping and (laughs) like it just, it wasn't for me. And, you know, I think a lot of people say this, like that didn't grow up. I'll use that in quotes um, with online dating. Like this didn't exist when I met Brad. And so the idea of it was just, I was like, no, no. And so I went in very closed off and went on a couple dates, but I I got off like probably a week later. Yeah. (laughs) I just felt like it was, everyone was having the same conversation. And I was like, this is so time consuming. And again, I did not have time. I was just like, ask me out for a beer. Like, let's just like, get get to to, it. Is there chemistry? Do we, can we have a conversation? But it was like, I think that's part of the game that people like is being able to have all these options and chat with all these people. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. So for where I was at, it just was not a good fit. Yeah, because I know some people really like the long text game. So they know if they're going to go out then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know from Instagram that you had a relationship before your current relationship. So can Mm -hmm. you tell us how you met him? And whatever you want to tell us about that? Yeah. Um, So he was a friend of my sister and brother in law in Detroit. So I now live in northern Michigan, which is four hours outside of Detroit. Um, And I was in town and I had an event coming up and I was really just like, in my mind, I was like, I'm tired of going to these things alone. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just want someone to have fun with. And then I met this guy and we had like a great connection and great, like a lot of fun, but I was not in the place where I was like looking for a partner. And I, you know, we had a ton of fun and we started dating kind of casually. And then it just ended up kind of being a relationship. And I have a lot of things now I like probably should have been more upfront about communicating with him. But it was just like, we're having a great time. We do the long distance thing. And um, I kind of always knew that this wasn't going to be anything serious. And I don't think he, he I mean, I know he did not feel the same way. And yeah, um, yeah so it just got to the point where it's like, at, at some point, I have to end this because it's just not feeling fair. And, you know, it was, we broke up at the the first year of COVID. And so part of it's also just like, you know, you're in your bubble with this person and, you know, there's, there's companionship and it's lonely in a pandemic completely by yourself for better or worse. Like, should I have handled it differently? Probably. But also I think everyone understands, especially every widow out there of like, where we're at and needs and add a pandemic on top of it. And I'm trying to give myself some grace of yeah, <laughs> and you should. some of these decisions. <laughs> of course. When I think of like leaving a relationship after the death of a spouse or a, a partner, it feels very daunting to me. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, that feels like a lot of pain. And then I know that that would sort of bring back waves of grief. Was that your experience or not it- so much? It was, and but it caught me very off guard um, because, like I said, I, I was the one that ended it. I knew this person was not like my next person. Yeah. And so I I was just, you know, I would was prepared for it. And I 
had like serious, serious bouts of grief, like Mm. just like super, super emotional, lots of tears. And I was like, why? Like, why? And I think it is, it's just another loss, another reminder of you're starting over. You're not with your partner that you chose. And it, I mean, it was really hard and I don't want to sugarcoat it or I don't want to like say it wasn't because, (laughs) you know, I don't want it to be like, such, such a like a hard thing for someone that's starting dating and like the yeah. idea of if it doesn't work out but that was that was definitely the case for me yeah yeah I was I had reposted something yesterday just about that idea that like any disappointment sends me into this grief spiral and I just feel like mm-hmm. it's because we're working so hard to sort of like hold ourselves together at least yeah. I'll speak for myself that's how I feel like it and yeah. then things like pile on. And if it's the wrong thing, it can just collapse. And then it's like, Oh, my God, what happened to my life? Yeah, yeah, totally. Just so overwhelming. Yeah. Okay, so um, then how much time before you met your current boyfriend? And kind of what happened in the in between? So it wasn't a lot of time (laughs) in between, um, probably a few months, but I had known him. And so I'm like, I don't even know the timeline. Um, I had known him for a long time. So we were friends before. And he actually knew Brad. Um, Mm, He went to high school with Brad, which is, is nice. I feel like it's nice on paper. And it also is like, it's weird. (laughs) Like, it's a weird thing. I appreciate it. I, you know, I wonder if it's, I think it's harder for him, because he Mm. knew us as a couple. And he knew, you know, again, we were this great couple. And so it's a certain level of like, he's followed my story. He's like seen all of this. He's heard me talk about Brad. He physically knew us together. And so to come into that, like you said, it's, there's a level of expectations and we were such a great partnership that for me, I really appreciated that he knew Brad and I can talk about him in a way that, that he can relate to and understand, but I think it's, it doesn't always make it easier. Okay. Um, yeah. But but we were friends, um, not great friends. We were friends um, mostly through my sister and brother-in-law um, because my brother-in-law also went to high school with Brad oh, okay. and with, with Nathan, my current <laughs> partner. And so, yes, a small little world. We're all over the country now, but yeah. we're all dating each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like we started – chatting. I was in Virginia. Um, he, so he's in DC and I was back home visiting my mom and we, you know, regularly I would go and grab a drink and hang out with him. And it was just like, Oh, there's something here. And it was, I think we both kind of felt that. And, um, he had just gotten out of a relationship and I had just gotten out of a relationship and we were kind of like, what in the world we live seven or 800 miles away, but we just really loved our time together. We loved our conversations and respected each other so much as individuals. It's like, we always really liked each other as humans and our time together. And so we were just kind of like, okay, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna give this a shot. <laughs> so did you like define it or was there like, how did that go from friendship <laughs> to relationship? Um, we did not define it in the beginning. I think we both were like, if this works, it's going to be great. Like we, like we knew enough about each other. Um, but again, doing the long distance thing, it's so it's hard. not always, it's, yeah, it's not always easy. And so, um, we didn't talk about like, we're going to be boyfriend, girlfriend, we're going to be partners. Like from the beginning, it was, 
frankly, it was also just kind of a physical thing where we enjoyed each other's company and then eventually just was like, okay, we're really like liking where this is going. And yeah, I don't even remember if there was a conversation where it was like, now we're gonna be now we have a title we're gonna we're going steady <laughs> did he give you his ring or something yeah you know? his, his varsity jacket That's right, exactly <laughs> oh and then you guys took that trip to portugal that looked so amazing oh my gosh yeah 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 he loves adventure too and traveling so we've that's you know the perk of of doing the long distance thing it's like well we could come to each other or we could just go somewhere else and yes. have an adventure together. Yes, totally. <laughs> so, you know, long distance only lasts for so long. Are, are you guys just enjoying the now or are there plans? Or We are enjoying the now. Um, we have talked about what that looks like and we don't have answers. You know, we both really yeah. like our lives and the lives that we're building. And he has a great network. His family's where he's at. He's has a great group of friends. Um, his job is in DC and not as flexible. Um, I also think that we're not, and certainly I'm not, but we're not necessarily the most conventional people. So I think our relationship just might not be conventional. Like I think we yeah. might do the distance thing. We might be living in separate, two separate places and maybe you know, sharing spaces. I, I mean, I don't know. I think we're open to yeah. it and we talk about it, but I don't think it's going to be as simple as, okay, we're now ready to, to move in and, yeah, you know, leave our current spaces. Yeah. I mean, that, that concept has been hard for me because my boyfriend lives like an hour away mm-hmm. and it, I, I technically, I guess it's not long distance cause we can get to each other in a day, but it's still, it's still so far. It's still far. Yeah. yeah. And like my whole life is here and his whole mm-hmm. life is there. And it's just in, in my head, you know, I, I also dated my husband very young. And so like conventional relationship is kind of like where my head is. So I'm always like, when do we get to that part? You right. Know? Right. And I always feel like in this rush to get to the next part, but I'm really trying to learn that like, okay, it's okay. Take your time. Yeah. There's no rush. Like the babies are done anyway. It's fine. But I do think it's different with kids also. You know, there's different things to consider. And, you know, if if there's a future with this other person, then it's like, you, there's this idea of merging it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's different. I think for me, it's, you know, I've been a nomad and I feel like I'm a wanderer. And so I'm like, eh, whatever, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yes. That's a great attitude. <laughs> so awesome. Okay. I know that for me, there's like a lot of really good stuff with dating. And then there's a lot of really, a lot of stuff that surprises me with how complex it is mentally. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel like are some of the complexities you have faced? Let's do that one first. Like okay. what's the hardest part? Um, I think, you know, I think we all talk about comparing relationships and I think especially in the beginning, it was this idea of you have to compare to Brad, like how I felt when I saw Brad at 21, when I first met him is I need to have that same feeling. I need to have Mm. that same level of energy. And it's like, I, you know, when Brad died, I was 33. I was in a totally different place. What I was looking for in a partner was different, how I'd grown, like everything was different. And so I think it's, that's like such a hard thing and such a complex thing is to be like, well, we compare 
to what we had, even though we're totally different people with different needs. And so I think just like being aware of that and trying to silence that a little bit and trying to be open was hard for me in the beginning because I was just like, well, I don't have this feeling. So yes, what's the yeah. point? And, and like also sort of unraveling some of the things that you grew up with as a kid about what relationships are supposed to be like or what the media says they're supposed to be, I find also so challenging. Right, right. And yeah, I had, I mean, terrible examples of relationships. So the fact that I've, <laughs> I'm here is, is great. But I also think I mean, there's, trauma. We're now dealing with trauma. You're like, you have lost the person you thought you would spend the rest of your life with. And now you're being asked to go out into the world and trust that that other person's not going to die. Like being asked to give your heart away to somebody else. And I, I think that that is, that still exists in a relationship that like, whether it was dating or being in a relationship with Nate now, it's like, oh, how much separation do I need to have so that I'm more prepared. You know, there's this mm. level of I have to keep a certain level of my independence because you might die and I can't start over again. Like I can't go mm. through all of that again. And that's not a healthy way to live. But there's some truth in how to handle that and be open to love and potential loss. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I feel like if I can let go of like any little bits of that. Mm-hmm. any of that fear, I always feel more closely connected to him mm-hmm. and like deeper with him. But it's so hard because so hard. Like, you're, you're right. You're like, I want to be prepped for if it happens again, even though I think we know like you there can't. is no prep for that. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can't protect yeah. your heart. And I mean, who wants to live with one foot out the door because of like, cause you're afraid and yeah. you know, it's, it will suck. It will suck one of us will die. Like if Nate and I continue and we make it 50 years, it's like one of us is going through this. And yeah, yeah. But, you know, and I think that's part of the reason it was, it felt harder to date Nate because I saw potential with him immediately mm-hmm. when we started. And it was like, oh, I'm like having to fully give myself in a way that like I hadn't. And that level of fear was just very real for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you said at 33, you feel like your needs in a relationship are different. Are you able to like identify some of those, like some things you know you need now versus before? And I'm 38 now. (laughs) But yeah, I was 33 (laughs) when Brad died. Yep. So (laughs) even older and wiser. You know, I think communication is just like the thing I know I need. Um, I think especially as like, if you're dating a widow, if you are a widow, it's like there are very specific things that we will bring into a relationship. And at this point, it's like everyone will bring their past. Like Nate's divorced. He's bringing that with him. Like we all have stuff yeah. that we're bringing from past relationships. And so I hate to like, I remember at first I felt like I was a burden. Like I'm bringing yeah. all of this stuff and who's going to handle this? It's like, no, like we all have our stuff. Um, but I think communicating, being open about it, like my insecurities, my fear, Like I'm much better about talking about that in a way when I was younger, I would not have. And then I expect the same from my partner. Like I, yeah, if you're feeling something, I need you to tell me. And I don't have a lot of patience. Um, That is (laughs) like, if you don't, I'm just like, I'm not a mind reader. And so it's just something that I'm like, this is at 38 now a need that I have. Do you feel like there are things that, that were hard from your marriage 
that you specifically are seeking out now? Ooh, what a good question. Um, yeah, so I feel like I I thought about this. Like, so Brad was a very he was very intelligent, very witty, very kind of intense future oriented person. And I was never future oriented. And so mm. like to the point where it's like he and his best friend were always planning like, you know, what they wanted to do and like to how to take over the world and how to make everything better. <laughs> and me and he's one of my his best friends, one of my best friends and his wife's one of my best friends. And we all went to college together. And so it's like yeah. me and his wife, like just roll our eyes at like, oh, my God, can we just yeah, like, again. can we just be here? And so, you know, I like that was a difficult thing. And especially then Brad dying at 35 years old, I was like, well, I don't oh, want someone who's so hung up on the future. Like I want you to appreciate being in the now. Um, and I don't yeah. know if that was like a conscious thing, but certainly something on some level I was aware of. Yeah. But, you know, I also think it's like Brad accomplished more in 35 years than, I mean, I felt like I was still like, I'm still like, what am I doing with my life? And because oh gosh, he was so it. thoughtful about it. Oh, I, every day, <laughs> but Brad, like he just, he got so much done where I like constantly wonder, I'm like, did he on some level know? And this is why he did put so much time into it and get so much done and make such an impact. So it's like, you know, it's a thing that bothered me in my marriage and like the day to day yeah. of like, just be here and appreciate yeah. the now. But I'm like, I am grateful that I feel like he got to live out so many of these dreams because he did put so much thought into it. Totally. Um, okay. So what have been the best parts of dating? Like the giddy parts that nobody talks about, maybe like, what's the really good stuff? Um, having a partner that you trust and that feels like they're there for you. I mean, there's a lot of the like, lovely things of having a person, having a body in your bed, having someone to do stuff with. But I think like seeing a person that you can see a future with, that you can see leaning on and relying, like I, I miss that as like from Brad of like truly feeling like a partnership. And so I think for me, it's like, I see that with Nate, like we give that to each other. And so it's like, that's like the dream is yeah. To, to just to the idea of being able to feel that again. It, it, and again, it was something I never, ever, ever thought I would feel even I was like, Oh, I'm gonna have to settle. Like, at yeah. some point, if I want a partner, they're not going to live up to this certain level of expectations. And it'll just have to be good enough. And will I get to a point where that's that's okay. And so, you know, there, there are people out there that you and Nate is very different from Brad in a lot of ways. And so, you know, that's, that is just, that is what it is. They're similar in a lot of ways, but I think to, to be able to feel that again, to feel that partnership is just really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I feel like in the widow community, lots of people talk often about societal expectations of like what other people think or other people's reactions. How much of that do you think is real versus is like our fear of what other yeah. people. Um, I, I think about this a lot, actually, because I definitely struggle with this. Um, as open as I am on Instagram and writing, um, 
I feel very uncomfortable still when I do write about relationships because I'm like, oh, they're all going to assume I don't love Brad anymore. They're going to assume I've moved on. And I don't know if anyone has ever, someone has asked if I'm stuck in my grief because I talk about Brad, Um, Mm. but no one really says this. And so I don't know how much is real versus just like our, our fears. I, I mean, I will call myself out. So I, rem- I had a friend that lost her partner um, and we were all very good friends. And I remember when she started dating, I was very uncomfortable with it. And yeah. because I was friends with him too, and I felt like it was too soon and it was before I'd been through anything I'd been through. And so I think there's a level of judgment that's real, whether yeah. it's to the level that we assume, like, I think we all assume everyone's thinking about us all the time and yeah. <laughs> everyone's just living their own lives. <laughs> like, no what? one really cares about what I'm doing as much as I think they are. <laughs> I'm at the center of everyone's day. Right. <laughs> everyone's sitting around and talking about me and dating. <laughs> I think the first time when you start dating and it's out there, people are watching, you know, yeah. they're thinking things and have opinions. But I think once that band-aid's ripped off, most people probably don't care as much as we kind of think they do. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like, I put so many things through my own filter. Right. And I, I did the same thing where I was like, Oh, well, I did know this one person who was widowed and then he started dating really quickly. And I was super judgmental. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. like, that was me. So now I assume everybody's like that. Right. And, but there is like the fact that both of us, and I feel like we're not terrible people. Like this was one of my closest friends. I love her like more than most people on this planet and yeah. it's like, th- there is a human nature of it's, it's not because of my lack of love for her judgment. It was because I loved him so much. And, yeah. you know, it's this weird, like, death is hard, how we feel about things. It's like, it's hard. And that judgment isn't always because we're judging the actions as much as we're just feeling sad. And yeah. we don't really know how to express that. And, you know, I never would have said that I was like, nothing but supportive to her. But I felt that internally. And so I imagine that people feel that because they loved Brad, that people, you know, his family and his friends when I started dating probably felt something, but it's not because they don't want me to be happy and to find love. It's because Mm. they just, they love Brad and they love me too. But it's like that, like those are real things that we don't talk about or know, like the complexities of, of life and love and loss and all of it. Yeah. I really love that because I think like, I really kind of want to cry about that because you just think about like all the people who are affected by Mm -hmm. this death. Right. And I know I'm often so self-centered in the way I'm thinking about it. Like I'm the primary and everyone else Mm -hmm. is ancillary, but yeah. um, I also often in my mind kind of compare people's judgment of divorcees dating again versus widows. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how come everyone's like, you go girl, if they're divorced, but if you're widowed, it's like, wait a second. Mm, Right. And that, I feel like that explains it. That like, just hits the nail on the head with no, it's pain. It's like, we're all in pain. We're Mm -hmm. all not ready to give up the life that we had with that person. Yeah. Yeah. They thought we would be together forever. And so it's, it's, everyone is learning how to accept this reality. Yeah. I think, um, I, for me anyway, this is why I'm trying to be so like, like just drips of information out (laughs) to family and friends, like just tiny tidbits. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And every once in a while, I'll just like dump it on somebody that I don't know very well. Like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing this guy. And they're always like, what? Right. (laughs) But like the people who have gotten the slow trickle, I feel Mm -hmm. like are really accepting and understanding. Yeah. Oh, it's so complicated. It's so complicated. (laughs) It's so complicated. And yeah, is that like the best way to do it to just be, I will give you tiny little bits until you become more and more comfortable or is it easier or better to just be like, okay, now I'm dating, rip off the bandaid. Yeah. And, I, and I it's know. also a lot of work for us to do these tiny yes. managing of everyone else's expectations. Everyone's and... expectations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So another thing that I've noticed, I kind of like separate on Instagram, my real life feed. And then I have like my widow feed mm-hmm. and since I have two accounts and I have been noticing recently that it seems to me like the farther people are out from their spouse's death, the more hope they carry. Do you feel like that's true? Um, I think it is true to a certain degree. Um, yeah, I think the more, and it's even separate from dating. I think it's the more you see life that like, continuing and feeling normal in whatever way this new normal is, the more mm. you have hope that it's not just going to be so sad all the time, you know, and I hate yeah. the like time heals all wounds and it's like this timeline, but there is a level of truth of like, we learn, I think we learn how to handle it. We learn how to live in our grief. We learn to let more things in as time goes by. And so I think, naturally that allows more room for hope. Yeah. Like sometimes I feel like you're like five years out. Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Okay. And I'm just coming up on two. And I feel like not necessarily comparing you and I, but just sort of the broader community. Sometimes I feel immature in my grief journey. Like, oh, I still see compared to some people who are years down the road that I have learning to do and I have growth to do. And I don't know if that's time or if it's personality or... But well, I feel that way. So, oh. <laughs> so, and you know, it's also someone recently, a remarried widow posted something recently about how she no longer belongs in this space. Mm. And I was like, felt all kinds of things was just like, mm. so what does that mean? Like, and you know, we all, I like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm still uncomfortable, like with the word widow, even though it's like, I'm so proud to be married to Brad and to like be his widow because it's that relationship I get to keep. And I'm like, what does that mean as you move forward in a relationship? Is my voice no longer valid? Is, you know, am I no longer allowed in this space because it's been five years versus two years where I was writing much more about like the rawness of it. Like, do I want to be in this space forever? You know, talking about grief. Like there's so many things of, like you like being public about it and then the time that continues of how do I carry this and move forward like 10 years out am I still gonna want like I'll always be a grief advocate I will always be a person that will talk about owning our stories and talking about it because it felt so isolating because we do not talk about this we do not know how to talk about death I'll always talk about it but will I talk about it on Instagram in the same way I you know, I don't know, but I think all of our voices are valid. That will be a part of my experience is grief will be part of me forever. But adding a really, it is like that level of now I'm happy in a new relationship. Does that mean my grief matters less in this space or I have less to say? (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't think so, but I also am like, are people seeing me and being like, oh, she's now just happy and moved on with her life and I don't that's not so. the case either. Yeah. But if I don't, I, mean, I feel like I have to talk about it though in order to be like, I'm still here and Greece yes. still exists. And yes, because I don't want to be this person that's like, she's just another person that found another love and, you know, moved on with their lives. Like, I still feel very much like it's my responsibility to talk about Brad and to carry that. Like, he's not here to do it. And I don't know if that will mm-hmm. ever go away. Yeah. I'm finding this to be sort of a theme with some of the people I'm talking to is this idea of like, I don't necessarily feel the um, pain in the same way as the Mm -hmm. beginning, but I do feel a need to continue to put it out there so the world knows that Mm -hmm. it's there. It's never going away. Mm -hmm. I think you do a beautiful job of that. Like, Thank you. I mean, none of of what you put out to the world comes across to me as like, and I'm moving on. Like... (laughs) I wonder but, if that's hard for Nate. <laughs> oh, I, mm, I doubt it. No. <laughs> it. It is interesting to hear you talk about the woman who said that, because I feel like that's the fear for me. Like mm-hmm. the, the fear is, oh, if I fall in love again, if I get married again, then I'm no longer valid in this space that I just want to like grab her and be like, no, no, no. Your voice is super important. We want to hear the long story, too. Yeah. And I think for her, it wasn't in a like, I'm worried about it. I think it was like an acknowledgement of like, she like almost like she didn't want to be in this space. And that's totally mm. fine. Like, again, it's like everyone is different and yeah. kind of choosing to not be in this space, which is okay. But I'm like, I want this story to matter. I want yeah. to talk about the complexities. Like if I get married again, how do you get married again and not think about your first wedding like how and yeah yeah you know I don't know like these are things that still will continue this I like grief will grow with us it will still be there and I want to talk about that beyond the like first couple years of the intense raw horrifying daily (laughs) pain of grief yeah yes um also knowing that so I don't, maybe, maybe you have an, another job, but from my perception, it seems like your career is in the grief space and with the Forest Joy Project. Is that your primary? No. Um, okay. This is why I'm like, I, I feel like I don't have my, my stuff. I don't know if we can cuss on here. I'll try and keep it. Oh yeah. Go for it, girl. Shit together. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I like have worked like three different jobs. I'm now just working for one creative agency. Um, but I've, it's like a hustle every day. And mm. my dream is for Force Joy Project to be the thing. But right now I make no like $0 from this. Like I do yeah. book of stories and I put it back into the business and it keeps everything running. And then I sell some t-shirts and I'm, I have bigger plans um, in the works for Force Joy Project. And so I'm basically just trying to save up all of the money from the hustle to be able to do some of these bigger things and have this be yeah. my thing. But right now this is all in free time. And yeah, and it's and it's a lot. And it's it's a lot. But I care very deeply about these conversations and about being a voice in it and helping others be like, you know, it's like, if I talk about all of my terrible experiences and someone else that can be like, okay, I'm not alone and how mm-hmm. horrible this feels or this stupid drunk thing I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just put it all out yeah, there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm really grateful for your voice in this space. And I know, as one of the people that I found very early on, 
And I think maybe just as I was starting to get dating, I just found it really hopeful to watch your journey and to see the complexity of your life mimicked in what I was feeling too. So Mm. thank you for your work. Of course. Thank you for saying that. All right. So I did do like a Instagram questions for Dana. Okay. Um, knowing you were coming on and they ranged from, oh my God, she's so amazing to, yes, I can't wait for this podcast <laughs> to, I was like, questions. Um, the only real question that people had for you was, how do you feel like you prepared mentally to have sex with someone after your spouse? Ooh, what a good question. Mm. Um, I mean, did I prepare mentally? <laughs> like I said, I just got really drunk and did it. <laughs> um, well, and her follow-up question was, and can you do that sober? <laughs> ooh. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think because I'm sure I, th- I mean, I know I thought about it before I actually had sex. I mean, this was definitely a thought probably for months leading up to when I actually had sex. Um like when you feel like you're ready to just be okay with whatever happens, like it's probably like sex with any first person where it's might be awkward. It, you don't mm. know what the other person wants. I think it's different if you're dating somebody first, then ideally you can talk about these things versus like you just want to go out and have sex with somebody. Um, I think however you need to prepare to feel safe in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Gosh, I feel like I'm failing this, this answer, this question, the only question people had. (laughs) No, no, no. I, I felt like when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I'm mentally prepared. I felt like my body was like, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you're right. It was more of this like physical, like need and desire. And I was like, all the other stuff, the mental stuff, the emotional stuff, like that's going to come later. And And it was, I was ready for it when it, when it happened. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a totally fair answer. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, I have some quick questions and then I want to talk about your song recommendation. Okay. Okay. So, um, some of these we've covered, but I'm just going to go through them anyway. Okay. So these are just yes or no, or maybe questions online dating. So have you done it? Have I done it? Yes. (laughs) Okay. And then which... Uh, were you just on Tinder or were there others? I, I maybe was on Bumble for like a second. Okay. But I, I don't this remember. This is all pretty this short-lived, was, right? Okay. Yeah, it was like a week. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. maybe there was another one. <laughs> okay. Do you see yourself potentially getting married again someday? Um, Maybe. I see myself in a long-term partnership. Marriage was not important to me the first time. Hmm. Um, Again, I'm I was always pretty unconventional, divorced families and all of this stuff. So, so maybe, maybe. Okay. Um, have you ever considered gender experimentation? No, but because it wasn't like a thing that came up for me. Okay. Should I just um, be saying yes, no, or maybe? No, this is perfect. Okay. I love it. Okay. This is great. Um, did you feel the widow's fire, quote unquote? Yes. Okay. <laughs> did your friends set you up with anyone? Uh, sort of, but it wasn't intentional. It was just, I happened to meet people through them, but it wasn't like an intentional, we're going to set you up with X person. I do feel like you have this really fun, um, situation where you met people like in real life. Yeah. Right. I feel feel very fortunate for that. Totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's enviable. I think friends should always set their friends up, though, if that's a possibility. You should tell your friends you're ready because they know you. Yeah. Um, yes. Although I did have somebody tell me once that they did that and then their friends started setting them up with people that they would have wanted to date okay, as opposed yeah. to. Yeah, that so probably could know. get messy. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, regular self-gratification? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, would you date someone named Brad? I wouldn't say no. It would be weird. Totally. And <laughs> if you were looking at people online, would you swipe right to someone who looked like him? Ooh, I guess it depends on what else was in his profile, but not, I wouldn't swipe right just because he looked like him. Again, that would be strange for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the song that you recommended for our building playlist is No Hard Feelings by the mm -hmm. Avid Brothers. Can you tell us about it? Um, I mean, the Avid Brothers, I feel like are just... They're, they just, oh, they have my heart. And they were the first concert I went to solo after Brad died. And oh. I think they do like, it was really hard to pick a song, first of all, because music is so powerful. And I have like a whole grief playlist. But yep. this song, it just like, I cry when I hear it. It's like, they know how to write about life and death and loss, like so well. And I think this song just speaks to it. And it's, you know, talking about like, when when you can't, your body can't hold you anymore. And so it's like the physical like decline. And I have no idea what they wrote it about, but it's like, I just hear it and feel it and feel like it was my situation. And I just, I just love it. And if I want to cry, I, I'll just listen to it. <laughs> okay. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> um, what is one thing you're really looking forward to? In life in with dating? <laughs> like, sure. With anything. Um, you know, just more adventures. I think it took a long time to see like the possibility of finding joy again and like the new experience. And then we've been in this pandemic for two years. And so like the idea of these adventures and, you know, continuing that with Nate, I feel like we've been very lucky in our relationship with getting to travel safely. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing like what else comes from that and what kind of travels and where in the world we go. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, can you give us any insight into any of your Force Joy project plans? Ooh, not yet. So not totally yet, but I want, it's, it's hopefully going to be something that will help the grief community on a larger scale without revolving so much around my story. <laughs> like mm. it just, it's a lot to, to run a company. I just listened to a podcast with Emily McDowell actually, um, who, um, did like grief cards when she was diagnosed. And it's like, she talked a lot about like creating a brand based on yourself and how difficult that comes and mm. trying to see growth. Where it's like, it's so much emotional energy to always be telling my story. It's why I do interviews with other people. I want to like, have it be a space for everyone to talk about their grief and their experience. And so I'm trying to grow in that where my story will always be a part of it. You know, I think Force Joy Project, the Instagram account will always be a lot about me and my personal thoughts, but trying to grow something that will affect more people on a larger scale besides with my story. Yeah. And I can't wait to share, but I've got to yes. like, 
get some legal stuff taken care of first. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, on your own time. Yes. Um, well, it's really fun watching your story. I mean, I love everything you put out and- Thank you. You know, I'm quick to click and read everything happening in your world, so. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing and for being here. And yeah, thanks I'm for having me. I'm looking forward to a future glass of wine. I know, me too, we'll have to do that soon. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dana. Thank you. See you later, bye. This has been Dating After Death. We'll see you next time.